listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, October 7th. Notre Dame defeats Bowling Green 52 to nothing. It could have been a lot worse, probably, if, uh, if if Bowling Green doesn't possess the football for 12 minutes in the third quarter. But Notre Dame did everything that they wanted to do offensively. Chip Long did a good job of getting everybody involved. The quarterbacks had opportunities. Phil Dracovic did a nice job uh, after Ian Book threw five touchdown passes. He now has 10 against New Mexico and Bowling Green, which... Which isn't going to put him in the Heisman running, but uh, but it's, it was good for him to to, to well, hang. It's good in the on paper and on the screen when they yeah, showed fifteen yeah. versus two. No doubt, <laughs> and you know it was it was when I was rewatching the game on Sunday that I came to the realization, and we will. I do want to talk about the individuals that that perform well, but uh, you come to the realization. I know that there's a week between, but Notre Dame's next two games are against USC and Michigan. Their greatest rivals of the modern era. I don't know. I guess you'd have to go back to. Well, I mean, well, Army <laughs> yeah, is Army what I was going yeah, to say yeah. that 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 way back when the, the the first I guess real rivalry was against Army, but the only Michigan's two passing. that, yeah, oh, no yeah. doubt about it. USC and Michigan. They are next up for Notre Dame. We right before you walked in, Pete. That's we just said. That's the season. USC and Michigan. Notre Dame beats them both. You're going to see. Although they'll have little mini hiccups during games, I think then they will run it out. Because it means they're a good team to be able to beat those two. In a yeah. Row. yeah, it's a it's a difference of whether you had a good season or a great season. Yeah, because right, these two right. games, if you sweep them, you're going to have a great season. If you split them, you're going to have a good season. And you could talk yourself into a good season if you really tried hard. If you got swept, but I don't think anyone's going to be willing to do that. I so. do know that in a conversation on Saturday that <clears throat> uh, uh, not that the Orange Bowl is 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 hoping against Notre Dame going eleven and one and having a shot at the playoffs, but. Uh, well, I guess if, no, if they, I guess they could go eleven and one, they would probably go to the Orange Bowl, and that wouldn't break uh, that wouldn't that wouldn't break the Orange Bowl's heart. Certainly, because they wanted to shot them last year, and it just didn't work. But um, anyway, um, it, with regard to to Bowling Green, you know, I brought this up today to Brian Kelly. Nordheim's third quarter defense is just spectacular, as it was really really good last year under Clark Lee. Um, you know, Jameer Jones in the lineup, I don't want to be unfair to Dalen Hayes, but I'm not sure that there's going to be a whole lot of drop-off at the at the number two shark end with, with him um, in the lineup on a consistent basis. He's uh, He can impact the pass rush, man. Now, Dalen Hayes probably has a little bit more knowledge of when to drop. I mean, he did give Kyle Hamilton his first interception. Some, some plays like that where mm-hmm. you're dropping the flat. Uh, Jameer Jones is a much better player than I thought he would be last spring when they were talking about redshirting him for his senior year. I thought, hey, that's a great idea to bring him back and have him back up Ade Ogundeji, which he probably would have ended up doing, mm-hmm. but he's he's just a legitimate good college football player right now. Yeah, I think that your your point on Dalen Hayes is, is right on because there's so much that he is just aware of in the yeah. structure of the defense sure. that Jameer Jones is not. I mean, there's a reason why the dime defense actually did not look very good. I'm not saying it's all Jameer Jones because no, you're also not. replacing yeah. Sean Crawford. Um, but there, there's a, there's a lack of okay, this is how we all fit together in sort of the eleven as one concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that Bowling Green converted five first downs against Notre Dame's sort of nickel slash dime set, which is which is a high number. Um, so that's that's something that I think they'll they'll probably be. Yeah, working I think to, it ended up being, that, ended up being more, week. but not it could garbage yeah. times different. I right. thought having rewatched the game, I thought Owusu Koromoa was a little bit lost in space again, kind of like he was against New Mexico. So that may have contributed to it. And your question, Sunday, Pete, is is right on in terms of now, you know, now uh, Amon Ross Brown is in the slot. You know, I mean, that's I liked a, how you asked that question. That's a whole. That's yeah, a, can I dare him? <laughs> I asked him like, how did Owusu Kormoa sort of grade out as your new nickel, and how does that sort of inform your opinion of how you know, you match up with Amon Ross St. Brown? And then he started talking about Owusu Kormoa, and he's like, "What was your other question?" I said, "It was Amon Ross St. Brown." He's like, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah." We're, we're gonna have to do something a lot different with that, um, and they will. I, and I don't know what that that different is. Um, you know, there were there were things about Bowling Green that I think are indicative of us this season. They're a pretty mature team. I don't think they're gonna. <laughs> I don't think they will have sort of the flat Pittsburgh style performance. Um, and if they do, they'll win by ten at Duke, opposed to needing yeah. uh, a big touchdown late. Chris Sims said that. You know, if they were to use Kyle Hamilton at cornerback, 
he would do just fine. I, I mean, I, I think Kyle Hamilton could perhaps be used in a different way this week against USC. It would certainly make sense. Well, the, I would agree. I, or I agree. Um, Alohi Gilman, though, from how much we saw him covering the slot in August, I think they yeah, may go that route. Yeah, he's very um, good at it. He, could, he would have to get his hands on St. Brown early to not lose. Uh, but also remember last year, and we're going to get way into USC in questions, tackling is paramount against these three guys. And uh, I would, you, know, you could trust Gilman quite a bit if he can stay in, in, the, in range on body with the player to make the tackle. Um, it's just a really bad time for Sean Crawford to have gone down. It is literally really the only is. matchup where you absolutely And that was my whole him. point about bringing bring up Dalen Hayes and Jameer Smith, that the loss of... Of Crawford is is uh, eminently more significant. Um, you know, as far as I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how USC approaches Notre Dame's offense this time around. They pressed them last year uh, and and gave Ian Book problems early. Is Javon McKinley ready for that? Now, here's the biggest difference. That's a different USC secondary. That was an extremely veteran USC secondary last year. Yeah, Biggie was a problem last year. Yeah, <laughs> he was. He had a good day. Right, right. So you know that's a little bit different. It'll be interesting to see how uh, Clancy Pendergast ends up playing uh, against Notre Dame. But there's no doubt that they threw a wrench in Notre Dame's offensive plans last year, and it took a while. Chip Long ended up, I thought, ended up calling a great game against USC to get the amount of scoring that. That they did in order to, to outscore USC. To be fair to Notre Dame last year, too, pressure on one side, some dead legs, end of November, going to the playoffs, arch rival with nothing, nothing but that game. They threw every right. weird defensive thing. Everything California, but, yeah, the Chicago, kitchen to South Bend, to New York, to California, caught yeah. up to them. Yeah, they yeah. did. And, and they just threw everything at it. They threw stuff at That's why that drop off touchdown to Tony Jones worked. They were throwing everything in the kitchen sink, blitzes. They were caution to the wind. It was, let's go try to win this game the only way we can. I don't know if they'll come up with that again. I do know Notre Dame's not dead going into the game. No, I yeah. mean they, they should be sharp. Um, you know, That's what a, this game a, was a bye for. week, a New Mexico preseason game, a Bowling Green preseason game. I mean, this is this sets up incredibly well. I mean, it sets up better for Notre Dame having to play last weekend than USC not. Considering the yeah, opponent, I and, think and that how it all Notre unfolded. Dame had a chance to, to work some things out, whereas USC is just sitting there being like, oh, okay, is it is it Slovis? Is it Fink? Mm-hmm. It seems like it's going to be Slovis. They're, I mean, they're a program that's you know in quite a bit of turmoil at this point. But um, it, I don't know. I thought Notre Dame just they played a good, mature game. I thought Ian Book was good. I wouldn't say that he was great, even though the stat line looks great when you just sort of look at the box score. But I mean, he did some good things. I thought that he had this uh, pass to Claypool for 19 yards. It was, I think, it was in the first quarter yeah. where he stood in the pocket, took a hit, put the ball where it needed to be, and it's you know. Notre Dame has superior receivers to most teams, that, but you need a quarterback who's willing to sit there, stand tall in the pocket, and deliver, and he did. The touchdown pass to McKinley, uh, Flutie made a comment that, you know, you pretty much write that. Uh, an offensive coach, a coordinator, will write that off because he had seven seconds, six seconds to, to make the play. But at least he hung in there. Yeah, right. No, he I mean, did he, drop eight. You're, you're yeah. always going to have seven seconds. I'm glad he hung in there because the first drop eight he didn't. Um, when they punted, nobody was open, but he had all day. Right. He, he, he went, didn't have to leave. He looked right to McKinley. He scanned back across. He came back across. He saw Fink. I know. I, I, I could tell by the movement of his head that he saw Fink, and he could have hit Fink beyond the linebacker in front of the safety and did not. I, peripherally, he probably caught McKinley at that mm-hmm. point through him. But at least he, at least he hung in there. And, I, and good point, Pete. I mean, yeah, drop eight, you have time. But that doesn't mean he's always going to hang Correct. in there when he has drop he eight. He often takes so, off. Right. So... Um, that was progress. That was one of my. That, I thought that was one of the better, more telling plays of the day. Um, Notre Dame's offensive line again did a great job as pass blockers, giving him time to throw. They've had a good, just considering what, what Brian Kelly mentioned of how they went into the Georgia game. They've had a really good last three games. The offensive line, compared to a really shaky first two. I shouldn't keep saying Louisville is shaky because they started so well. That counts, too, as we like mm-hmm. to say. But they were inefficient against Louisville yeah. more than you thought they would be, and obviously against New Mexico. Yeah, they protected him well against Georgia. They had a great, a good game all around against Virginia. A lot more of that was on book, the pressures, not than I think the offensive line. And obviously they had to be great against Bowling Green. That's They need to be the next two games. They need to be the best unit on the field against USC, and they need to hold their own. If they hold their own against Michigan, they're going to beat Michigan. 
Jafar Armstrong will be back. He is listed number two on a depth chart behind Tony Jones Jr. Ultimately, what that means in terms of carries and touches, I think I think maybe you know touches might might be a little bit uh, might be what we're looking at here because I think they're going to yeah. throw him yeah. the football uh, as opposed to giving him you know twelve to fifteen carries per se. Uh, but he can make a difference. USC is still giving up 4.5 yards per carry and 175 yards rushing per game. Brian Kelly and I've heard other people say, and I've se- I've seen some film of them. Um, you know, they are they're pretty good on their defensive line, but yet they're still you know still giving up some yardage there. So yeah, the, the Brian Kelly's comment on Sunday that this is the best USC defense he's seen in the, yeah. in the series. I've he just didn't. He didn't want to finish his question. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know. I, it's like I don't know how seriously to take it. Um, it certainly has to be some kind of commentary about USC in the last decade, which has not been good. No, but like the, uh, I mean, the 2011 defense that came in here and shut down Notre Dame wasn't a good offense, but they had guys going pro. They had, you know, that that they had some. They had better defense than this one. 2013 well, defense was good. They've wasted a lot of personnel. Let's yeah, face it. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I realize the whole probationary period and all that played a role. But um, you know, it's uh, I, I wanted to see what USC's done in the third quarter, and it's about comparable to everything else that they've done in the other quarters. But Notre Dame's just given up six points in the third quarter. I know that New Mexico and Bowling Green are in there, but they <clears> even <throat> kept Georgia. No one scored a touchdown. Georgia scored all six points on two field goals. And they were in position to score touchdowns, too. Yeah, absolutely. That was the real absolutely. That. So that's, um, th- I mean, that that shows well on Clark Lee. <laughs> and last year they only gave up 52 points in the fourth quarter in 13 games, uh, which is just a, a tremendous number. And says a lot about Clark Lee and what he does at halftime with his coaching staff. Yeah, he's excellent. I mean, I think he's excellent in all quarters, but... The second half. Of well, that was what you asked about yeah. today. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's part of it. He just, I think he's, he adjusts well. I mean, I think that's, I asked about sort of USC last year versus this year and looking back at that game. I mean, I think the three of us were all there. There was the, the tenor of the way Notre Dame was defending USC was very uncomfortable for Notre Dame, even though that was like sort of the plan. It just felt weird. It was as it was happening, but it was. As, probably, as pretty much all, every time other than the end of the second quarter against Clemson, what Clark Lee's approach seems to just work out. You probably won't be, with with the with Graham Harrell as offense coordinator, they're, I'm not sure he's going to be content content to dink and dunk. And and as you said, Tim, I mean, they had nothing to lose yeah, they, in that game. And this is, a, they've got a lot to lose now. I think Notre Dame would have, they just would have tackled a little better in the first quarter on, on those I'm on Ross St. Brown looked great after the catch. They mm-hmm. just tackle a little better. It was Julian Love and Gilman, too. If you just tackle a little better, it wouldn't have been that uncomfortable. USC was always going to eventually make mistakes like they had all year, and they did against Notre Dame. Yeah. It was not an aggressive defensive plan that you can love and embrace as a Notre Dame fan, but it was the prudent one. This is a better and he USC. And he won the game. This is a better USC team, and their you know their mindset's going to be a lot different than it was in game 12 of last year. So we got a bunch of questions about USC, a little bit about uh, Bowling Green. And we'll be back in segment two to address those. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Segment two, burning up the boards. We started the question from BMARS777. While being a huge proponent of Notre Dame being only one of two teams to have never played an FCS opponent after Saturday's output by Bowling Green, I can assure you there are certain FCS teams, particularly in the Colonial Athletic Conference, that are more talented and better coached than the lower echelon FBS teams. In the future, do you see Notre Dame scheduling Villanova, James Madison, Etc. For the sake of actually finding a better opponent, I I thought there was going to be some questions about Cam Harton here. So this uh, Villanova James Madison talk has really caught me <laughs> off guard during USC week. I no, I mean there, there's no. no point in doing it. I I also agree with this questioner question that like the relevancy of not doing it is low. 
think Notre it's, Dame it's believes it's higher than you do. Yeah. Oh, for yeah, sure. Okay. They're, they're yes. Clinging yeah. to that with pride. Yeah. yeah. Which, along with UCLA, that that was also yeah, mentioned. Yeah. But the... it's like, yeah, Bowling Green would get crushed, I think, by many FCS teams. I think New Mexico would lose to quite a few of them as well. But, I think go ahead, Tim. The point of scheduling this game was to kill a team and still say we have not scheduled an FCS team. That is the goal, and that it was the perfect warm-up. Right, if, but, if Alabama caught onto it, they'd just be like, let's well, bring Bowling Green down yeah. instead of the Citadel. They'd but be fine. Bowling it's... Green, I don't know exactly when the game was scheduled, but, I mean, Dave Clawson was their head coach. They won 18 games in two years. Dino Babers was their head coach. They won 18 games in two years. But UMass, there's other ones. UMass, Ball State. Yeah, I don't think they were, Bowling they, Green, they were, I mean, Bowling Green's got a lot of tradition in yeah, the program. Yeah. I, I, they don't really fall into the category, although I guess they did because they stink. New Mexico, right now, but, New Mexico, UMass. Paul State, which is ironic, those teams were set up to, for Notre Dame to rest and kill someone that was not an FCS team. That's yeah. what this was. No, somewhat true. too. Um, they're never going to do it. They shouldn't do it. They should not give in. They should hold dear to what Pete doesn't care about and not play an FCS team. <laughs> they don't have. <laughs> they don't have no to. need There's to. No There's just to. absolutely yeah. no just, need to. I think the only upside is it's cheaper, and Notre Dame is not short on dollars. The one game contract with FBS teams is more expensive than FCS teams. Notre Dame does not care. I mean, it's just, right. it, and it's not by like ten not, million dollars, right, it's right, like right. a couple hundred thousand, right? Maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly what that number would be, but there's no reason to do it, and and uh, and they won't, and they won't. No, Z Fundy one, a little nitpicky here. Here is another one for you, Pete. Okay. But in your mind, shouldn't Dracovic have played the entire game after Book went out? I'm not sure why Brendan Clark comes in after a few series. Dracovic is one hit away from being the starter. It would be nice to get him as many live game reps as possible. Is this a case where Clark and Dracovic are neck and neck for the number two spot? I don't know that they're neck and neck, but it's not a clear distinction. Now, Phil Dracovic played well Saturday. I thought he did. I mean, he wasn't, you know, there's he threw, he, he had a pass tipped at the line of scrimmage or batted down at the line of scrimmage. And he had Wilkins going going down the middle of the field and, Realized that he was covered and really kind of did a smart thing and just kind of threw it into the grass in front of him. Um, yeah, no, that's that's what right. you should do. But, that was... uh, okay, so he's one hit away from being the quarterback, and Brendan Clark is two hits away from being the quarterback. So it's not it, it's it's not that uh, dramatic of a difference. I I don't know. I mean, I thought didn't Jerkovic get enough work on Saturday? Yeah, I thought he got enough work. Um, you never. <laughs> The coaching staffs never pull their starter for that first drive of the second half. I know it's just it always be like the backup should take the whole second half. It's so it's rare when you just don't let the quarterback go out there for the first drive of the second half. I wouldn't. Half. I wouldn't. You wouldn't pull him or you would you would keep... I would not I would not start the second half with my second team quarterback. Right. I here's one way I want to flip this on Z Thundy. If Dracovic is one hit away and they really like him more let's say they really like him more than Brendan Clark uh, by a lot. They don't want him to get hurt against Bowling Green either. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. He's running around all over the place out there. I mean, he led two touchdown drives. I don't. It was real garbage and, time and, when he came out. And at the end, Jerkovic was looking at the wrong signals. So I don't. That was a funny. Yeah. Explain I, that since I, you brought it up. Yeah. That was, I, yeah. I, I was. I, that was unnecessary for Brian Kelly to bring that yes, up. It was. I, it's funny, but it yeah, was unnecessary. So after the game, uh, somebody asked him about Jerkovic. I don't know. I think it was Mike Berardino from the Indy Star. Uh, and. Kelly just volunteered about when they called timeout at first and goal at the one that they dummy signal and then correct signal in the game for like self scouting purposes or you know to prevent the opponents from from getting uh, you know an edge on what they're doing. And Dracovic apparently read the dummy signal as the signal, and so then Notre Dame had to call timeout. And you see Brian Kelly; he was pissed on yeah. the sideline. Yeah. Um, so apparently he felt like I want to volunteer this to you yeah. guys. I, it was kind of one of those things where I was like, is this really true? Like, is he just, like, kind of yanking our chain on this? So I I checked on it. In fact, it was true. That did that did happen. Um, but the, the whole point of this is, like, Dracovic has a lot to work on. They let him run the offense for two series. They both ended in touchdowns. I think that's really good. Brendan, they, Brendan Clark they didn't like run Cl- the offense. Right. He didn't. He didn't yeah, yeah, he didn't even get a true. chance. To, and they, pro- they wouldn't have let Dracovic no. run the offense in that series. They like Brendan Clark. I mean, I, I just... They do yeah. like Brennan Clark. I they they think he's tough. He played through a broken finger. I think we've mentioned that. He played through a broken finger during August and didn't say anything until they were wondering why he was throwing so lousy and 
Because <laughs> I, I have a yeah. broken finger. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, I mean, they like them. So I don't think that there's a clear distinction between the two. But I don't want to, I mean, I want, you know, I've been, we've piled on Jerkovic in over the last few months. I thought he looked good Saturday. I mean, I think he's he's moving in the right direction. His length and his stride, he can, I mean, he can accelerate away from people, whereas Ian Book's just trying to run away from people. This guy's accelerating away from that him. Night, it was a 19-yard run? Yeah, it was beautiful. Era. Yeah, I mean, it was well, really he nice. also had one where he kind of darted through traffic and yeah. stepped out of bounds. He's he's got a lot of natural, um, you know, running instincts. I thought he looked good, but I didn't think there was anything wrong putting Brendan Clark in at that moment. And if you go to our board, books already been kicked out for next year. Dracovic's in. Wow, I know it was quick. Oh, I missed out Happened on that. fast. Wash ND. Maybe it is partly a function of playing Bowling Green, but Jamir Smith looked explosive when he got the ball Saturday. Physically, he just looks like a running back should look. Is it me, or is he a potential number one type back at some we're point? Pro- we're now pronouncing it Jamir because that's how he pronounces it, and I've now heard oh. teammates pronounce it that way. Oh. And with the H in there, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. You can't it's go by Notre. You can't go by Notre Dame's <laughs> pronunciation guide. No offense. I was saying possibly some. I was saying Jamir. <laughs> um, I like Jamir Smith. I, I do. I mean, I think there's a lot of ability. I love the way he runs. I, I you watch. Marquis Stepp, who played a little against Notre Dame last year, and I've seen a little bit of him here so far this year. You know, that's the kind of back that he is. I, he runs with power. He drops his pads. The 24-yard run was, that was a burst. That was a powerful burst. He's not that, he's not that big. Do I have it a... It seems like he is, though, when it he runs. It seems like he, <laughs> he is, but big. he's listed at 205 pounds. <laughs> 20 wow. pounds lighter than Tony Jones. Hmm. That he, does, I mean, he looks to me. He looks quite a bit smaller than Tony Jones. Jones is around number. Not, yeah, the number six makes it around No, but he looks a lot. Big, he looks bigger than 205 to me. Yeah, and he I play, agree with that. And he plays bigger than. He plays bigger than than 205. I'm I'm speaking and spitting on Samson at the same time. You really like Jimmy Smith. Uh, God, I like Jimmy Smith. Um, no, I, I see some of the same things. I, it, you know, it's just a matter of him being consistent. Flemister. Needs to be more consistent. He got tripped up in the open field and got three yards. On, he on ran a play. better against Virginia than he did against Bowling Green. I know, Green. but it was he annoying. Did. That was really that. Was, I thought he ran pretty hard on the other attempts. But they're just they're trying to find a guy, and they need Jamir Smith to stay healthy. The but the the question is: Is it me or is he a potential number one type back? And the answer is no. I think, to me, um, to I, me, think I do not see a number one back. I. I would go so far as to say 1A is a compliment to a guy, but I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I mean, he if you want to say he is Tony Jones but with Jafar Armstrong, then I would be like, okay. That's what but I would I, say. I wouldn't go any farther That's what I would that. say. Yeah, I think he's a really I, – I like – I think he's an ideal role as a complimentary back too because he can just run hard for 12 carries when he when he becomes more right. entrenched in the and offense. They, and they – I yes. think he's going to get some carries this week. I think he's going to absorb some of Sebo's carries this week. I, I, three, yes, I, think, I think he needs to. Statman72, how do you interpret the possible four-game redshirts of Dante Vaughn and Kyron Williams? Uh, they'll be saving a year of eligibility, and that's about it. But, I, look, Don, Kyron Williams is fine. That there's That's it's a surprise to me just because he was an early enrollee, and I feel like we saw enough good things in August. We'll be like, all right, he can help you on special teams, get a couple carries. When he's gotten in the game, he's sort of tensed up. Uh Dante Vaughn, I don't really know what to make of that one way or the other. Like, if you're, if this is sort of like a, well, next year we're going to start Dante Vaughn and Tariq Bracey, I don't see that as like a way you can go and hope that it just hope that it works. <laughs> I mean, he had an opportunity to be a starter this year, and it lasted a couple days, and he got banged up in camp, and I, I just don't, I don't see it. There's something weird about the last. 24 hours of Dante Vaughn conversation that Brian Kelly offered he could redshirt because he's at the three-game threshold. And then today said he's in the game plan first guy off the bench for USC, which would make four games. If Sean Crawford's not back against Michigan, and he's good enough to play against USC, why wouldn't he play against Michigan? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. I think you said He better not play against USC. (laughs) All right? You know how many times he's going to be right there on touchdowns? Many. Open field tackling yeah. Dante Vaughn, who hasn't played consistently since January. Like we don't, or we December twenty eighth. He can't tackle these guys in space. He was he's falling all over the field against Virginia. We don't, we don't see we haven't seen practice since August. There's been a lot of practice. We've seen Maybe, games. No, I'm just no. My <laughs> point is, 
New Mexico. He's holding everyone. To me. Listen to me. My point is that the perhaps his other competitors just aren't aren't competing Somebody's well enough. Got to play. I mean, I that, guess if the question is, do you want yeah, do you want point. Dante Vaughn on the roster next year or not? I would say yes because right. you you are lacking bodies. Uh, leadership could be healthier next just, year. Yeah, I would take I would take a shot with it. I just wouldn't bank on that working out. It's sort of like. Sean, like you're banking on Sean Crawford to stay healthy, like you, yeah, bring him back, see if you could make it work. But I don't think you can sit there and feel like this is going to work. I don't think they're banking on Dante Vaughn to start next year, though. I think they're being smart about it. And what you just said, he could help our team next well, year. Well, then if he want, if he, I mean, if he, he could help next if year. If he more than really wants to play football, he should grad transfer then. If that doesn't matter to him, and he wants to be at Notre Dame for happen. a fifth year and take advantage of a academic opportunity and if you know then then so be it i i just i don't see how he's going to help notre dame football this year or next year i'm just thinking if they're thinking about bringing him back he's probably been hurt since some point in camp and they feel like they're almost not being fair to him to just burn i i agree with you on that sense i mean certainly he is his body is sort of broken down a yeah. little bit, um, and he may just need a year to recover from it. I'm not, but I'm not really sure the particular. But he, just but know he's always hurt. Yeah. But he got in the game against Virginia, so he's healthy enough to play. And he falls down, he stumbles in coverage, and if the ball isn't overthrown, it's a 35 27 outcome. Then people would want him back. People jump off the ship when those things happen. He was there. He was, he was there, there, right there. Insane ND Tucson. What do you see as Cole Komet's ceiling? He is definitely NFL caliber. He reminds me of Kyle Rudolph a lot. If his production continues for the rest of the season, is he gone? Well, he's on pace for 55 receptions now. So that would be, even without the first two games, that would be a pretty good... 50, pretty. 50 is the record under Kelly? I mean, I think Eifert, I think had, 50, Eifert had 50. Yeah. Eifert had 50. In 2012? Boy, it seemed like he had more. It was also 27 pass interference penalties that he yeah. garnered. Yeah. Uh, how high is his ceiling? Extremely. Extremely high. I think one of the most interesting things he said when he came out uh, about a week and a half ago was that he plans to play baseball in the spring, which would seem to indicate that he will still be at Notre Dame. I don't think he's going pro after one good year. I think he will be back. And I haven't talked to Cole Komet about it, but I, I, I don't. everybody seems to think he's more likely to go. I will just say he's more likely to stay. I think we need to see how everything transpires eight sure, games from sure. now. I, I don't. I think it's real. I think it's difficult for Cole Komet to to make that decision at this stage of the season. I think if he if he looks as he did against Georgia, <laughs> against USC, <laughs> Michigan, Stanford, and the bowl game, then he will leave. But I don't know if that's going to happen. Or he not. could be a better blocker at this point. He gets. I would agree. A little he, bit too much the first for his play blocking. of the game or for the he first did. series of the game. He, yeah, that was weird to get cast aside. Yeah, um, by by a corner. But I love Cole Komet. I'm not. I'm. I'm just playing devil's advocate that sure. I think he could benefit from a year at Notre Dame. Tyler Eifert came back. Tyler Eifert had 63 catches his junior year and came back. Actually, that okay. was the best one. That was a long time ago. Then that was a, that's a different era of leaving early for the NFL, wasn't it? Yeah, he was really good though. No, he was he was a re- he was, a yeah. re- he was ready. I mean, similar, he was I mean ready. similar career arcs though. Like Eifert was banged up. I think he had a back issue his, his freshman, freshman year. Yeah. That was like potentially that was career threatening. Yeah, he was certainly better as a half year redshirt freshman than Komet was as a sophomore last year though, because he got hurt. I'm just saying yeah. as a third year player, right? They're comfortable. That's the breakout year. He could be gone at this pace if he continues. What he's 15 catches, 200 yards, couple touchdowns. Um, yeah. I mean, they 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 could lose him. Terry Benedict. What three wide receivers are playing the best now? Claypool one, uh, Michael Young two. Uh, I would just leave it at two. Claypool, Komet, and Tremble because oh, they are no yeah. longer going with wide receivers. Yeah, They're yeah, going to run the twelve fair. package. Yeah, they are not. Why would you go with wide receivers? All right, right but now? Terry Benedict is trying to. Get I you am to ignoring him. He's yes. trying to get you to exclude Chris Fink from the. Mix. Well, what about? Can I include Tremble? No. Sorry, I don't. I I shouldn't read that into it. But uh, Claypool I mean, only. Mike Clay, Young yeah, I mean, is going to be a, because Claypool he's been clearly. McKinley is coming off a really good game. Hey, all right, Javon McKinley's. All Javon McKinley has done has been against New Mexico and Bowling Green. So if you don't like Ian Book. Against New Mexico and Bowling Green. Why do you like Javon McKinley against New Mexico and Bowling Green? He couldn't make a play against Georgia. He dropped the only pass that mattered against Virginia, although he did draw pass interference. Yes, and he, he caught did. a 11-yard pass against Louisville. Yeah, Javon McKinley 
like Ian Book, has all his stats against two bad teams. Yeah, right now they don't have a bunch of wide receivers that are clearly stepping forward. Tommy Tremble, Cole Komet, 12 package. Write it out. I love Tommy. They, so the the passing breakdown for Ian Book's plays, I think he, he, ran, he threw, threw it three times out of regular personnel, which is, you know, one back, yeah. one tight end, three receivers. 16 times out of two tight ends, and then twice with two backs. Is it Monday I think that, too? Yeah, and two backs it, is coming up with Jafar it's, Armstrong. That's right in the, t- in the right t- now, t- I don't like it. And with Jafar Armstrong, but the yes, two different. tight ends, I I like. I I, yes. I and you know Chip Long likes that. Yeah, I mean not not that you're going to ever do anything exclusively, but if you want to really, if you want to get the ground game going, um, that's that's certainly one way. We saw last week against a does does Bo, does Bowling Green have a DB coach? <laughs> <laughs> Tight end, the, the little the little corner that the threw Cole Komet aside on one play looked good on one play. Start the yeah. yeah I mean, you want to talk about there, you want to talk about haphazardly running around the back of the field. I wonder why. I wonder uh, wonder what the what the my god is there anything we could correlate that to? I I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know what that possibly could be, but. Um, yeah, yeah, well, okay, my point, the double tight end, it's important, and you're right, two of the, two of their, at least two of their four best receivers right now are tight ends. Gosh, if they get a fullback, people are going to go crazy. This is awesome. ND 10-12, if Jafar Armstrong plays against USC, how effective do you feel he can be? Do you think Brian Kelly will call Lindsey's number on the first play like he did Will Fuller in 2015? No to the second question. <laughs> you got to have two tight ends out there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I could call Tommy Tremble's number. Um, Jafar Armstrong... Is going to be heavily involved, but I think Tim's right that it's passing game, decoy touches. passing game, touches, and even even decoy passing game. If you make a couple plays, you have it opens things up for other people. It really it opens it it opens it's, the playbook up further for Chip Long, which opened up a little bit more last week using two tight ends. And and to Pete's point about Young, now Young is really should be back at this point. Like he led the receivers yeah. in snaps against Virginia. Right, you mentioned that, but and now he should just be more. He should be very effective at this point. I yeah, think. yeah. I mean. It's, the the lineup dynamics there are Tommy Tremble has supplanted Chris Fink, yeah, as the fourth best player to have on the field at, at those positions. With Jafar Armstrong, O'Malley sent O'Malley a clip this morning. He saw it himself when he was watching the game. I'm sure I haven't read Taylor tape yet, but I'm sure you noticed as well. Tony Jones' first two runs, Jafar Armstrong had the ball. They would have both been touchdowns. It would have been an 80 yard touchdown. Yeah. And then the second one would have been a 67-yard touchdown or 63-yard yeah, touchdown. Yeah, because the tackles were killing people <laughs> yes. on Saturday. I believe I mentioned Dexter Williams would have scored, gone back, touched the line of scrimmage again, and scored again on yeah. one of the runs just like for the heck of Bo it. Like Bo Jackson-style <laughs> yes, tech bowl. Yeah, tech yeah. bowl. There were. That's, didn't that's what Jafar Armstrong does for you. Like, he takes a 19-yard perfectly blocked run and turns it into an 80-yard touchdown. Theoretically. Yeah, you're right. He has to stay healthy. I, I, but his I overuse that word, I, I admit. But <laughs> uh yeah, I mean, um I didn't note that I did not note that in the in the tail of the tape. But um I did note that it that uh I don't remember it was Chris Sims or who said it, Flutie said it, that if Joe Wilkins throws a block, McKinley has a seventy five yard. He was, break, he was breaking tackles again. Six, yeah. He was breaking tackles again on that play. Which by the way, oh I meant to say this in tail of tape and I Chris Sims is definitely growing on me. I think he's saying a lot of good things. When he said, when he called the offensive line great. Yeah, you didn't like that. I, didn't, I didn't like he's that. He's recanted, mean, though. He, oh, no. he has said a lot of insightful things in the, the last two games. I like Chris I, I Sims, like too. You know where he should not be? Coming at you from the student section with Liam McHugh, because that was the lamest thing I have seen. And this is a strong comment on a broadcast for Notre Dame football since 1991. Wow. Catch my drift. You liked him on the bench though with Liam McHugh. <laughs> I just didn't, I don't like him. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. All right, Jim Booney, CRS, Clarkley dialed up an excellent defensive game plan that managed Georgia's rushing attack, which kept Notre Dame in the game. What do you see the defense doing for USC specifically in managing their star-studded receiving? Boy, core? I mean, you want to talk about two completely different offenses, Georgia and USC, <laughs> right? I mean, I yes, and defenses, thankfully. Yeah, be bigger issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wow, um, man, I don't know. You better be. I, I, you know, I don't. You know, the idea of well, press them at the line of scrimmage. If you don't press, first of all, if you don't press consistently, you're not going to do that in a game like this. Uh, Nordic safeties have to be really, really good. Their eye discipline has to be really, really good. 
I can't say that I know exactly what to do. These three are an absolute handful, and it's the worst time not to have Sean Crawford. 30 nickel snaps? You pr- yeah, well, yeah. Now it's hard to tell what it is. I know, but but Kyle Hamilton is who I want on the field. I'm trying yeah, to so do like this. Dime, yeah, so like dime. Yeah, dime or kind of yeah. a uh, yeah. I, I'm not sure what they're gonna do with that. It's I agree. It, I think we talked about this last week. As soon as Sean Crawford went down, I was like, don't talk to me about Bowling Green without Sean Crawford. It's like USC. This is a terrible matchup. I mean, yeah. it's that particular part of the matchup. It's yeah. so bad. But I mean, Notre Dame has advantages at basically every other position, but this one is just not good. Yeah, this if it's a game of matchup, if college football is a game of matchups, people really stand by that, and I have subscribed to it. I would. This is a bad matchup. That that this the Notre Dame corners, and I'm including Troy well, Pride. Well, yes, yeah. no, absolutely. Okay. Embracey, who I thought played well yeah. against Bowling Green, he did a lot of good things. He was physical. I like and them he both, drilled. but they're not as good. Yeah, as but think about what Bracey, what happened against USC with Bracey last year. He's come a long way since that. There's but it no was doubt. A, it was just an obvious. But there's going to be someone that is Bracey this year. If it's not Bracey, there's there's a yeah. lack of third guy. I mean, I like Alohi Gilman. Do you want Alohi Gilman on Amon Ross St. Brown all the time without Alohi Gilman behind you backing it up? Here, I mean, the, an- the answer to this question is you're going to zone them to death. Yeah. That's, yeah, I agree. That's, yeah. that's the matchup. Well, and, I, I don't, and I don't really watch, like, I don't watch the game to see, like, well, they're playing man or they're playing zone. But, like, I think it's going to be pretty obvious that they're going to try to zone them to death. I I think that that's absolutely correct. I think it's the best way to approach it. I You're... They, and I think it's obvious enough that Kelly answered your question honestly today, Pete, when he, he said we, we have to have you, – you said is one-on-one, obviously they're throwing it. Yeah. It's like, yes, we're, you have to have a safety and over the top. Like, the reason I, I – I maybe didn't ask that exactly the way – basically the way I wanted to phrase that is like if Slovis or Fink, if, if you're covered one-on-one, you're open. I think that's, that's their Well, approach. yeah, because Fink – Fink's terrible, <laughs> and he's throwing. Matt, he's you're th- saying right now, there's people. Matt, that, yeah, there's yeah. people that believe in no, another. Matt Fink <laughs> without an E is terrible. He's just throwing. I mean, he's getting picked at the. He's getting picked in the end zone, in the red zone. He's just throwing the ball up. Fortunately for him, Utah's safeties look like Bowling Green safeties Michael on a Pittman couple of those. Made them look ridiculous. Now, Michael Pittman's uh, really good. It, Who's worse, Fink or 2010 Mitch Mustaine? What Kelly's doing all these, uh, this is the best defense he's seen at USC. So is this the worst quarterback? Max Wittick. I can't. Wittick was the Wittick worst. Wittick was the worst. Yeah, Wittick was the worst. Yeah, I can picture Mustaine being good. I can't picture Matt Fink <laughs> being good. I, I, It's like BYU, I think, did a lot of drop eight against Slovis. He threw three picks. You know, it's not It's not like BYU is blessed with cornerback athleticism. No, it's it's the absolute right Same. approach. But Brian, as Brian Kelly explained to you, they're going to run the football then if that's the look that you give them. And Stephen Carr's looking good. Marquis Stepp looks good to me. And um, Melavi is is a good – they've got three solid backs. One note on the BYU game, I'm on raw one catch for four yards. He's 84 so, catches in his career right now. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, I'm just saying, if you zone a young quarterback to death, I agree. He might not find a slot receiver. And last year, the three of them combined for 29 catches for 305 yards. So there's yep. going to be a little bit of a change up from last year. But last year did work out in the end. Uh, we pretty much answered this, but there could be something to add on. ND Band 94, what concerns you most about USC, given they had the week off? I mean, is there anything in addition to the receivers? Other that, yeah. I mean, Slovis is healthy again. Yeah. So that's something because he's better than. Tim Priester's favorite quarterback, Matt Fink. Beyond that, I you know defensively, I don't know if they, you know their middle linebacker, um, I think is from Gorman, whose name I'm not going to pronounce on this today's podcast. I think is awesome. I think he's an awesome player, but I don't think their secondary is that. No, it's great. young. I mean, it, it, that that was a they they lost a ton of experience from that secondary. Yeah, we I remember sitting in that press box and watching those. Watching Biggie and some of those guys playing last year, like holy cow, he decided to come to play today. Like they they don't have that right now, I don't think. No, I mean, the, on like the back end, on the back. Yeah, end, and I mean saying. they were playing a walk on safety at one point in the game last year, I believe, because Miles Boykin like wiped him out. Um, on a long, I don't. Really oh, know. that did have yeah. They, that's he also right. had a pick though, I think. Yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> uh, Kay Beasley, the first half of the USC game featured a ton of short, quick passes and a great game plan. Besides JT Daniels being out. How does Coach Lee avoid this repeat? I don't remember. I'll go back and check like how much they blitzed in that game last year. If they brought a whole lot of pressure, that 
you know, that's not really Clark Lee's a, approach. And I don't, they certainly didn't do it last year because they were trying to keep everything in front of them, yeah. which is counterintuitive to, to They blitzing. had no pressure till the end of that game, so I would say there wasn't a whole lot. Yeah, I would just think that that's, I would, I would zone a lot, but then I would mix it up and, and have Slovis wondering, having to identify what's coming from where uh, and how much. It's, um, yeah. I think that's the approach that you have to take. I think you can dictate on third down if, if, if you can zone them on the first two downs to avoid the, just to avoid the rhythm you don't want Slovis to get into, the tempo. If you can get to third in passing situations, then you can dictate to him. Yeah, I mean, so here's the breakdown. Rush three, nine attempts. Rush four, 26 attempts. Rush five, 14 attempts. And then they brought six once for a 17-yard gain, and they brought seven once, and that was a 20-yard touchdown, which I think might have been the, at the very end of the yeah. game. So, yeah, Tyler Vaughn. So it's – I that – I don't know. I, I would say you probably stick with that. You know, it's a, it's a half the time you're bringing four, and then the other half you're making the quarterback well, think about you, it. I, you have great four to bring. You have a great four to bring. Well, that's, different. That's part they of have it. different offensive coordinators. The, the the approach is. I can't imagine taking the the same approach that they did last year. Right. No. I mean that that's that's, no, just not, that's not who Graham Harrell is. The, yeah, that's that's definitely be out of character for Harrell, but. They are uh, playmakers in space if you give them the ball right. quickly. That's one right. reason. We're going to, you know, I'm looking forward to Thursday's podcast because I, I just finished tail. I just got done looking at Notre Dame Bowling Green, man. I, I have not had. You're not I on start, USC yet. Well, I, wa- I, was at, I watched USC during pregame, yeah. uh, uh, you know, like two hours before the, the game, so but I didn't get to see as much. Hour rule. It doesn't. It, it just it's about doesn't. Especially Rolling Green, it gets extended. It just, really. unfortunately, doesn't uh, work out well for us. But uh, we'll get there. We'll, we'll have We'll have more on that on Thursday. CMU Pence fan, do you see Notre Dame leaning on Kyle Hamilton as third cornerback versus USC over KJ Wallace and Dante Vaughn? No, I do. See but him. I see him playing a lot. Yeah, and I see Gilman in the slot doing a little bit of what we saw in camp. Yeah, Hamilton had played forty snaps against Bowling Green, which is kind of like all messed up because he was a backup, like base defense safety for right. a lot of that. But he's played a little bit more and more as the season has gone on. Um, I think that's going to ramp up a lot on Saturday. I think that he he could be a 50-snap player. Yes, I would hope so. This is his number one matchup game. So that's at least two picks. By the way, let's give him at looks a string bean of his future Man, self. does he hammer people. He <laughs> brings some heat. That was the one thing I thought, well, he's not going to be able to tackle that great as a freshman. Oh. Like 70, like, like uh, like, like two-thirds of his hits are hammers. Like he's got a screw loose I didn't know about, which is great. He really he does a great job of, of bringing his legs through the tackle. He doesn't always wrap up. He just kind of uh, battering rams him, him sometimes. Uh, but him and Owusu Koromoa. Like, yeah, there's a natural. Yeah. I mean, they like, drive. They mm. drive through through the receiver. <laughs> Crumple people. Yes, yeah. it's, it's he's, fantastic. He's, he's hammering people. <laughs> K Saint six one nine Saint. Do you think Amon Ross Saint Brown wishes he would have signed with Notre Dame? No. He's a USC man. Life's good. Eighty-four catches. Yeah, he's he's fine. <laughs> he's getting the ball a lot. Yeah, he's I mean. tur- yeah, he's 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 starter from day one. He's turning pro after next year. <laughs> right, exactly. Now, if he, lives, he, li- if, if he, he lives really in Southern California, if, if he really only didn't go to Notre Dame, or primarily because of Wimbush, he never would have had Wimbush as his quarterback. So right. he would have been a couple games here, and they would have. Maybe that would be no lone regret. I wouldn't think so. It's not like it's not working out for him. No, I'm sure Notre Dame would love to have him. He would He would be part of that answer. Who are the top three wide receivers on Notre Dame? Yeah, yeah he would. <laughs> All right, you guys, you guys asked these D- last two questions. I'll find fresh. some more. How long have we been going here, Tim? Do we know? Yeah. We got, okay. Okay. We got ways to we go. We got longer in May. It's fine. Deal fresh. Brian Kelly says U.S. Oh, we're saving that for Thursday. Yeah, let's save that. Casey Thursday. Reese. How stressed do you guys get during a game? At times, I have to turn my TV off. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, Samson doesn't get no. stressed at all. Zero percent yeah. of the time. Well, uh, what about going yeah, to the playoffs? Not, not in the way that. Yeah. So I would say that <laughs> yeah. USC. I was like, I cannot believe they're going to blow this. <laughs> same in 2012. We felt the same. We were yelling at Brian Kelly because he wouldn't. He yeah. kept running Golson at the goal line. Theoretically, right. and all the way down the field. I'd say, like, but my stress about. Notre Dame winning or losing, aside from the fact that, like, there are coaches and players who, you know, we all have relationships with that you're, like, just as a human being, yeah. you're like, I would like to ha- you to have something good happen to you. Um, 
However, like the wins and loss for like Notre Dame is completely dependent on where I will be spending a bowl trip. So if it comes down to the end of the year and at Stanford it's Miami or Dallas, I will be stressed about that because that's important to me. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I've been able to turn it off over the last twelve years, except for when they're in the running to play for the national championship. Because I want to see my alma mater play for the national championship, like the two USC games, and I must say Georgia, because I was thinking to myself, "You got to be kidding me! They could win this game. Two minutes, fifty yard line. Like, this is just they will be the number three team in the country, number exactly. four team in the country. Never so been. you need. I, I need once there's like things in place." For instance, in 2016, like people are fretting over things like they just stink. I don't know why you guys care. Just go cover. I I have to cover the game. I enjoy covering the game, even though they stink. I wasn't. I never was concerned about that. So something's got to be in the line for me now because I've just had to turn it off professionally. I will admit the USC games. I'm like you cannot lose. I want to cover the championship game because I want to watch Notre Dame in the championship game and I want to cover it. And I remember like my second year covering them at uh, it was 2002 at USC. And they were probably going to the Orange Bowl unless they got blown out. And they got blown out and being like, wow, I'm that sucks. <laughs> You're going to the Gator Bowl, right? <laughs> I'm going to Florida, but it's actually Southern right, Georgia. Southern Georgia yes. uh, other ones would be a couple blown things, like the Gary Gray game. I had some cross feelings. Yeah, I can't. If I, sat here, if I sat here and said that I can turn it off, these two guys would laugh me. Yeah, yeah we would laugh at you. Um, punting. I the would, answer for Priester is punting. I would, I, when it comes to professionally doing my job and analyzing them, I have no problem right, right. with that. When it comes to my emotions at the, the heat of the moment with a game deciding play. See, I need to be, they need to be a great team. For me to, to go back to it. Otherwise, I'm just like, I just have to focus and do it. If they're great, I, you, you've made fun of me before for the USC games. Well, that's the only time. Yeah. That's the only time. George, you guys went down to Georgia. I was still upstairs because I had to write the game story and mm-hmm. didn't know what was going to happen. I literally was thinking to myself, I cannot believe they might win this game and be going and be clearly headed towards the playoffs unless they get upset at Michigan mm-hmm. in that situation. Yeah. That I was like, a big change. I like seeing stuff that I've never seen before. Yeah. Like new, like. So Georgia, like going both, to Georgia. Both Georgia games were like, wow, this yeah. is awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, that's not a stress. That's just like something that gets ex- you excited professionally. Well, I tweeted out during the Georgia game, sports are great. They are. And some people were writing back like, well, not if you lose the game. No, they're Mm-mm. still. This is still great to watch. I and I mentioned someone's like, you know, those sleepy games you have coming in. I wish Notre Dame was playing Wisconsin. Yeah, you it's know what? Like, it would just be fun to watch. I, I want to see them play yeah. good teams. I know they won't win the national title if they play all yeah. good games, but I like watching Notre Dame play great games. Like Navy in two thousand seven, that was exciting to cover. I realize if you're a Notre Dame fan, it was not fun to watch at all. But like that, oh my, that was something I never thought I would ever see. Um, so that was kind yeah, of yeah. Cool. That's a situation where I, I mean, I they were so bad. Yeah, like sixteen. We were like, all right, Navy, chuckling. go ahead and go yeah. ahead and win. Yeah, wow. of course. What an awesome scene yeah. that was. Um. It was want, worse when they did it the fourth time, maybe. <laughs> 2010 yeah. was not as good. That's not good. And, and the fourth, They've done it what, four times. Yeah, 20, 20, <laughs> well, 2010 was really bad. I want to end uh, with this one and, and have Samson elaborate a little bit. It's from uh, AGDND3. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but say Notre Dame goes 11-1 and one and the schedule looks as weak as it does now. Will this be a year where Notre Dame's best win, quote, win, will be a close loss on the road to Georgia? And then also your your perception of Notre Dame going eleven and one, and what what is their fate at the end of the year? Yeah, well, I would say Michigan will be the best win, and USC will be the second best win, and then Georgia, the Georgia loss will be the maybe the fourth best win because they haven't beat Stanford in forever in Palo Alto. So that's like those might not be like vintage editions of USC, Michigan, or Stanford, but those would be significant. Um, I think eleven and one, they will highly, highly likely be left out of the playoff. And based on how things shake out, it seems like the Orange Bowl is maybe slightly more probable than the Cotton Bowl based on the SEC getting two in, um, based on Ohio State definitely going, uh, which means the Big Ten two goes to the Rose Bowl, uh, and then Notre Dame is ranked higher than the highest-ranked non-contract SEC Big Ten game, if that makes any sense to people listening. Um, if that happens, then Notre Dame goes to the Orange Bowl, and they'd probably play Wake Forest or Pittsburgh yeah, or I've seen Virginia. Boys, uh, boys. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, or or if uh, Clemson gets left out of the playoffs somehow, yeah. they get Clemson. I don't change my I don't change okay. my sound for that one either. <laughs> well, uh, I don't want any part of that. <laughs> we'll let it play out, but I won't argue with a with a trip to uh, Miami Gardens. Eleven one or not? I just put you on the spot. Eleven one or not? Will they be eleven and one? I predicted ten and two. I'll stay with that right now. I kind of want to change to eleven and one right now. I'm, I, I want to get through this weekend. If if they look good this weekend, I will I will move it up to eleven and one. I think this game is really really concerning. Yeah, you were more concerned than both of us are. Yeah, uh, really concerning. Just you have valid reason with those receivers. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> what you said. I mean that that's a that's a that's a bad matchup. No, I love I love Notre Dame safeties, but the the corners are still a bad matchup and. I mean, I, I, I would anticipate I'm still going to predict a Notre Dame win. Uh, I'm almost positive I'm not going to predict them to cover. Um, but whatever. USC what is, my... is like they're like a punch-drunk team. Well, like, I know. You don't know. No, like, I, I know. I know. Blindfolded, throwing haymakers, and eventually maybe they'll hit one. Well, right, and Tim has some stats as, as far yeah, as them get the real, being they, underdogs. They have not been good as underdogs. They haven't been good. Power five situations. They haven't been good. supposed to be crap. Yeah, that's good, too, for for the wide receivers, fifties, forties, maybe raining. Really, I haven't yeah. seen that. Yeah, great all week until that game. Saturday is supposed to be pretty oh bad. Oh my god! All right, well, hey, if you're coming to town, you got that to look forward to. Northern Indiana, South Bend, Indiana. That's what you're going to get. It's a little early for that stuff to be happening, though. But anyway, uh, we will be back. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday when uh, talk a lot. Talk exclusively. Maybe some Bowling Green. USA. No, we'll be done with Bowling We'll definitely be done with Bowling Green. We didn't talk a whole lot about Bowling Green this one. We'll be back on Thursday to talk Nordam USC. Big matchup in Nordam Stadium this week. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.